You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. Well, the, uh, the tour guide was speaking with great passion, great enthusiasm. Uh, as she told the, uh, the assembled tourists on the coach about her country and its heritage and its history and its, its cultural features. And then she really lifted a notch or two and she revealed she was a woman of faith. And she said, uh, you know, our, our patron saint is St. Barnabas. And then she went to give all the different uh, references to Barnabas and his influence uh, in her nation in the early days. Of course, Bev and I were on the island of Cyprus. Because Barnabas, the guy who figures uh, along with Paul in these passages from Acts, and certainly in Acts chapter 13, he was born in in Cyprus. It says it in the Bible, Acts chapter 4, verse 36. And so it was that Joseph, a Levite, born in Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means one who encourages, he sold some land he owned, he bought the money and handed it over to the disciples. So as well as being known as an encourager, he was also a very generous man. What a reputation to have being one who encourages. Well, as we pick up the story in Acts chapter 13 of the establishment of the early church, uh, we we find that Barnabas was going to need every ounce of ability to be an encourager and to stay positive because it wasn't long into this first missionary journey before things got a little rough. Uh, there There was conflict, there was rejection, there was downright hostility. It would have put a man like Barnabas severely to the test. Friends, chapter 13 of Acts is a very significant chapter, very important chapter in the unfolding story of the book of Acts because it makes, or rather it marks, it marks the real beginning point of when the church took seriously the command of Jesus to go into all the world and preach the gospel, to literally go to the ends of the earth. This chapter 13 marks the beginning point. It's a first missionary journey by Paul, accompanied by Barnabas. And as I tried to read this familiar chapter this week through fresh eyes, and as a preacher, you've got to do that. You've got to try to look at the scriptures with a freshness to bring out something that's going to be meaningful to to your people. As I read this chapter, four things leapt from the page, and they all have to do with mission. They all have to do with the work of evangelism and they'll provide the foundation point for that which is to follow in the coming weeks. You see, Acts chapter 13 talks about ascending church. That's the first thing. It was the church in Antioch which commissioned Paul and Barnabas for this first missionary journey. And then the chapter highlights a simple message. When Paul delivered his first sermon to a crowd, of eager listeners in Antioch of Pisidia. There are two Antiochs in this chapter, which is a little confusing, but the second Antioch is where he delivered this first recorded message. It was was delivered and explained with great clarity. How important is that? A simple message. How important is that in the work of mission and evangelism? Thirdly, while the initial response to the message was positive, it wasn't long before there was a sad reaction sad in the sense of disappointing really disappointing as people thought about the implications of what Paul was saying and this led to Paul and Barnabas having to face having to confront a sobering reality as they realized 
the work of sharing the good news was not going to be easy. It never is. It never has been. It's not easy for us today in a pluralistic and increasingly secular society. So let's look at these four things that just kind of leapt off the page at me. There was a sending church. And we can draw a great inspiration from the church in Antioch. I mean, you get the impression that they'd established, they'd nurtured a climate of faith and expectation which naturally led to what we would call today an external focus. That's the new buzz phrase for, for mission, an external focus. This church had it. I mean, look at a snapshot of, of the church in verses 2 and 3. While they were serving the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said to them, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. He hadn't, hadn't been called Paul yet. That comes later in the chapter. To do the work to which I've called them. They fasted, prayed, placed their hands on them and sent them off. I mean, take a look at this church. This church is serving. They're exercising spiritual disciplines like like fasting. They're walking with a sense of purpose and expectation. They are intent on being the best they can be for the Lord Jesus Christ. Above all else, they're looking for ways to be a blessing to, to others, to reach out to touch people with the gospel, hence the commissioning of, of Paul and Barnabas. You know, friends, one of the most humbling aspects of being a pastor here at Northside uh, is, is that we, we seem to have, we seem to have developed, or at least we're developing a similar sort of DNA. And it's very humbling. We've managed to inspire, to encourage, to enthuse people to be externally focused in their service and their ministry for Christ. We can, we can probably trace it back to the very beginnings of this church 28 years ago on this site where not long into the history of the church we established in conjunction with our denomination we established what was called the Palmer Peace House. It was a house still exists in Chatswood and it was for, uh, it was for people uh, coming out of, uh, of drug and alcohol addiction uh, in some cases coming out of prison and it was a very powerful ministry. And of course, many other community and, and missional initiatives have followed, uh, culminating in our first mission trip to Uganda a number of years ago, followed by a trip to Vanuatu, our heavy involvement in Hope Street, and some of the current initiatives which are going to involve us ministering in aged care. It's very exciting. Uh, Sarah, our Beyond Northside coordinator, is, uh, is moving uh, very rapidly in that area. Uh, Women's Refuge, we've heard about that in recent weeks on the cover of the church paper. Now look, on the surface, look, on the surface, these just seem like activities. You know, and every church does activities. But listen, these are expressions of a desire, a deep desire to make a difference. People really want to make a difference. These initiatives arise out of Christ-like love and compassion. These are costly. People don't do these just just for the heck of it. People are sent out into these avenues of service and ministry and witness for Christ. I, I sat with a young man a few weeks ago who, who many of you know, his name is Daniel Jang. And uh, he left us a couple of years ago to, to go and work uh, full-time with Compassion in, New, in Newcastle. And uh, we were having coffee because he's about to enter a new phase of his life. He's volunteered for full-time missionary service, working on one of those boats that goes around uh, the world, uh, stopping in on ports and, and just doing practical and evangelistic ministry. And, and with a big smile, he said, uh, Graham, you can tell Northside they've just sent out their first full-time missionary 
because that's why because he talks very enthusiastically about the impact of Northside on his life in the short time he was with us. I thought about it afterwards and realised that it was actually Craig Gibbon and Jackie Gibbon who were probably the first full-time missionaries to go from Northside. They were associated with this church for a long time before they established in, in Theos. But uh, it's exciting. Like in recent times, and we made, a, we made reference to this a number of weeks ago, we've had an extraordinary number of people go forth, literally go forth into various parts of the world in missionary service. I'll mention a few of them. This is not an exhaustive list. Helen Pook, who's still away in, in Asia. Uh, David Saxby, coming back from Indonesia from translation work up there. Sally Lumbia, a couple of years ago, went to Eastern Europe. Rachel Kearns, Kate Wilson, Philippines. Uh, Bill Watson, India. David and Helen Solomon uh, over in Western Australia now, of course. And, and others are about to go, like uh, Sarah Anderson, our, our uh, Beyond Northside coordinator, preparing to take a small group to uh, Madagascar later in the year as preparation for our next overseas field trip as a church and of course the army of people involved in in Hope Street the church at Antioch was a sending church and it's a humbling realization to think that increasingly the way God is moving we're becoming a church that sends or at least that inspires people to go it's the kind of climate DNA we're seeking to develop the second thing is this there was a simple message and it's just absolutely so prominent in Acts chapter 13 the missionary journey been going for a while and they passed through a couple of centres where Paul got up to preach. But his first recorded sermon on the trip is here in Acts 13. It's uh, verses 16 to 41. So it's a fairly long sermon. Uh, look at the centrepiece of his message. Here's the heart of it. It's verses 32 and 33. Look at this. We are here, he said, to bring the good news to you. What God promised our ancestors, our ancestors he would do, he has now done for us by raising Jesus to life. Look at the key words, good news. God promised. He has done. Raising Jesus to life. Here's a question. Why has the church of Jesus Christ made the gospel so complicated over the years? Anybody tell me? Why have we made the simple gospel so complicated, so inaccessible to some people, so rigid and legalistic? Why have we done that? How has that happened? The message we have to share with the world is essentially a very simple message. It talks of a creator God who wants to have a relationship with his creation. And he's made that possible through what Jesus Christ has done. It's pretty simple. A primitive tribes person can embrace it. Right through to the most sophisticated, intelligent person you can, you can name. Friends, here's a second question. Have you worked out a clear and concise way of explaining your spiritual journey? What is your answer to somebody who says, why are you a Christian? Do you have a simple explanation for that? Look, I believe the days are coming and I think they're right here with us now in many ways. When increasingly the pressure will be on us as individual Christians to give an account of the hope that lies within us because the opportunities people are taking to hear the message in other settings like church, they seem to be going down. So increasingly, it's going to be up to people like you and me in the ordinary settings of life to explain the difference this Jesus makes. Someone has said, yeah, we are the only sermon people ever hear or some people ever hear I, I think that's true 
That that is, I mean, in many cases, we are the only sermon some people will see and hear. And the simplicity and the clarity of Paul's message was such that the congregation in the synagogue in Antioch, Pisidia, where he preached, they invited him to come back on the second week. They said, hey, what are you doing next Saturday? You know, forget the footy, forget anything else you're going to do. Uh, come along, preach again. We'd love you to, we'd love you to share more about this, about this Jesus. And by then the whole town had heard about the presence of, of Paul and Barnabas in their town. And they, they rolled up in huge numbers, overwhelming numbers. It's in the, in the reading that Anne brought to us. It was totally unexpected. Now bear in mind that the Jewish faith in this township would have been a minority faith. In fact, this synagogue may well have been the only synagogue in that region. May well have been. And, and so they were just overwhelmed by the response. Now guys, here's the thing. The opportunity for people, non-Jewish people, Gentile people, the opportunity for people outside the Jewish faith to receive Jesus prompted a sad reaction. It prompted a very disappointing, very sad reaction. This might sound incredible to us, but these synagogue people were quite indignant, very indignant, that the good news was being extended to the Gentiles. Of course, this was to become a big problem in many centres where the church was being established, this, uh, this conflict between the old ways and the, and the new ways. It was, uh, was going to be a big problem for Paul in, in all of his missionary journeys. And, and look at the reference here. It's very sad. Verse 45. When the Jews saw the crowds, bearing in mind, you know, second week, huge crowds, they were filled with jealousy. And they disputed what Paul was saying. And they insulted him. What do they say? A week is a long time in politics. Well, a week's a long time in ministry. Talk about a turnaround, you know. First week, oh, Paul, wonderful stuff, mate. Please come back. Next week, hello, who are all these? Hang on, this is not what we had in mind. Who are all these people? These are the people of the city we normally don't have anything to do with. What are they doing here? You know, people, even the people of God will do strange things when they see grace being extended to people whom they think are unworthy. There's a really humorous example of this in the book of Jonah. Remember Jonah in the Old Testament? You know, he escapes from his first call to go to Nineveh, you know, and the whole story of the fish and so on. And then he finally agrees to go and, and preach to Nineveh. And the people miraculously turn, they repent, the whole city is saved. What's Jonah's response? Yeah, I thought you'd do that. Yeah, that's very typical of you, God. You know, people give a little bit of repentance and, and you just forgive the whole thing. Gee, I thought that would happen. What's been the point of this whole exercise? I mean, no sense of joy and, oh, thank you, God. He's quite indignant. And of course, that's what the parable of the workers in the vineyard is all about, recorded in Matthew 20. The guys who do the last shift of the day get paid exactly the same amount as the guys who started at the beginning of the day. And there's outrage. How could this be? And the point of that parable very simply is that's God's grace. That that's his prerogative. He can do with his love and his acceptance and his forgiveness whatever he wants to do. That's how he operates. Someone has said there are very few things more repugnant than the grace of God because from a human perspective, often it just doesn't make sense. I've heard people over the years speak rather cynically about someone who comes to Christ in prison oh oh how convenient is that that'll go down well with the parole board you know and like it's a I actually conducted a, a wedding a number of years ago for a man who'd served nearly two decades for poisoning his wife 
And he had come to Christ in prison. And a more godly man you would be most unlikely to ever meet. And he's still going on with the Lord. And I had recent contact uh, indirectly with him just, uh, just a few months ago. Guys, let's face it. When ascending church is, is captured by the strong desire to share God's grace, there might be people who are upset about who comes to the party. That's a, that's a sad reality. Now, look here, praise God. I don't see any evidence of that here at Northside. I really don't. But we've got to stay vigilant. We've got to stay vigilant. Because when a church starts to become introspective and a little bit exclusivist in who's in and who's out, when they lose their external focus, that's a sure sign of a slow and painful death. But there's a fourth and final aspect of this passage. It has to do with Paul and Barnabas painfully coming face to face with a sobering reality. And this highlights the hardest aspect of any missional enterprise, any missional endeavour. It's the thing we must all acknowledge. More than that, we must all learn to accept it. I'm talking about rejection. Verses 50 and 51, look at this. They, these Jewish militants, they started a persecution against Paul and Barnabas. They threw them out of the region. The apostles shook the dust off their feet. A bit like a, you know, throwing the shoe in the Middle East, you know, kind of a sign of uh, great disapproval. Uh, they, they, they shook the dust off their feet and went on to Iconium. What does this highlight? Friends, it highlights that people have a choice as to whether they accept the gospel or not. It's a choice, and we are not responsible for that choice. They are. That, that's what this is saying. This is the shaking of the... Now we, we mustn't read too much into this shaking the dust. This is not writing these people off. Like, oh, we're never going to have anything to do with you ever again. No, no, it's just a, it was just a sign that, look, we're not responsible. You've rejected, but we, we're not responsible. And look, that's the reality. That is the reality. So... So, so Acts 13, it's a very significant chapter. I mean, get into it this week. It's a very significant chapter in the spread of the gospel to the ends of the earth. For us today, it highlights the need to send, not just through specific ministries and, and missional enterprises, as I've outlined. We all get sent. In about you know, 15 minutes, we're all going to get sent. We're all going to be sent out into our world, into our areas of influence. We're a sending church. This is not what it's all about. This is a meeting. This is a gathering. This is an inspirational, motivational, hopefully, experience. But we are a sending church. You will take the church. You are the church. You will go into your world this week. You are the church. Keep it simple. Keep your message simple. Work on ways of sharing. Somebody says, well, nobody ever asked me why I'm a Christian. That's probably because you're not praying for anybody to ask you why you're a Christian. In my experience, that's one prayer that God will always answer. Lord, take me to opportunities where I'll have a chance to share my faith. Uh Uh-oh, don't pray that prayer unless you're really fair income because he will open up heaps of opportunities where people will ask the question in one form or another. So what is it about you? What what is different about you? You mentioned church. Why are you a Christian? What is it about you? You better have a better answer than, oh, give my pastor a ring. He'll explain it. No. (laughs) He'll tell that person to ring you and get you to explain it. (laughs) Never become so bound up with self-preservation. This is the other message, that we lose our external focus. That's what happened to the Jewish people. Self-preservation. Oh, who are these? No. It's got to be whosoever will. 
That's the mark of a healthy church. It certainly points out the, the ongoing reality that people will make their own choices and they are responsible for those choices. Some of you got loved ones and partners, and husbands and wives that you've been praying for for years. I want to urge you to continue to pray for them. Continue to pray for those unsaved friends and relatives. But recognize that ultimately their choice is their choice. You are not responsible for the choice that people make. If I felt I was personally responsible for the eternal future of every person I meet, you could not bear it. You just wouldn't make it. The, the weight would be just too great. Best of all, best of all, chapter 13. It's got a beautiful final little message for us. Best of all, it tells us that in the work of mission and evangelism, God has the last word. I really like that. God has the last word because in the midst of all this rejection and getting tossed out of the region, there's two little verses, 48 and 49. Have a listen to this, 48 and 49. Check it out. When the Gentiles heard this, the message, they were glad and praised the Lord's message. And those who'd been chosen for eternal life became believers. The word of the Lord spread in that region. This is the region that tossed them out. The word spread. God had the final word. Yes, there was rejection. Yes, there was hardship. And isn't that the case in ministry? That ultimately God has the final word. I'm so encouraged by that. I'm so relieved by that. In my experience of ministry, it's probably it's as tough to do ministry today in many ways than it's ever been. The forces of secularism and humanism and in their own way, multiculturalism are really... Whew, you know, I watched a program on television yesterday in Melbourne. I was down seeing my mother. And uh, I'd, I'd never seen this before. Send for your free copy of the Quran. You know, like, I mean, the, the, uh, some, of our, some of the faiths that uh, were just very fringe for all of my life are now right there. Billboards, prominent television programs, uh, becoming prominent television programs, at least in some cities. It's a, it's a battle, okay, for the hearts and the minds of, of men and women. It's not easy. It's tough work. But ultimately, God has the final word. And our, our task is to stay faithful. Look for opportunities to reach out this week. They'll be there. Keep it simple. You may be rejected. But press on anyway. This is only round one of the journey. There's a lot more to come. Let's join in prayer, shall we?